0: Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Free Radio. I hope you're doing very well. This is a debate which I'm sure some people will say will result in a spanking of one or the other, but it is actually about a spanking, the, the ethics, the evidence for and against the practice of spanking, which I will define, and it's a very general definition, as the open-handed striking of a child on the buttocks or some other extremity not with the goal of causing physical harm, but with the goal of changing uh, behavior through negative reinforcement. I'm sure that's going to be fairly acceptable. Uh, On the other side of the aisle is Dr. Walter Block. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: My pleasure. Pleasure to be with you always.
0: All right. So uh, I'll start with – I I think the the best way to approach these kinds of questions is – a brief combination of of reason and evidence, you know, that's the sort of the one to hopefully that can help uh, unobscure a, a moral question. So let's start a little bit with the evidence, and then we'll we'll jump into the theory. So uh, spanking is uh, this is particularly true in the U.S. and the U.K. It's one of the most common strategies for reducing undesired behaviors in children. Over ninety percent of American families report having used spanking as a means of discipline. At one time or another, and more than half of 13 to 14-year-olds are still being spanked an average of eight times a year. Uh, Almost 70% of American parents think spanking is not only good but essential to a child's rearing, and 90% of parents spank their toddlers at least three times a week. Two-thirds spank their toddlers once a day. One in four parents begin to spank when the child is six months old, 50% when their child is 12 months old, And 52% of 13 and 14-year-olds get spanked, as mentioned, as do 20% of high school seniors. So it is something that most parents feel quite ambivalent about. According to the studies, 93% of parents justify spanking, but 85% say that they'd rather not if they had some sort of acceptable alternative that they could uh, really, really believe in. There is... In terms of the effects on children, there is a 93% agreement in scientific studies that spanking is harmful to children. Now, that missing 7% might sound like a lot, but in the realm of social sciences, a 93% agreement is, I think, beyond platinum to a diamond standard of of correlation. Uh, Spanking has been shown in a wide variety of studies over the past 20 or 30 years to lead to more antisocial behavior in childhood and increased aggression to uh, increasing potential for spousal abuse uh, when the child grows up and uh, child abuse in uh, adulthood. Uh, one study shows that disciplining children by spanking puts youngsters at risk for becoming aggressive, antisocial, and chronically defiant. Uh, a woman who's been on my show, Dr. Elizabeth Gershoff, analyzed 88 studies over the years to determine the effects of spanking on child behaviors. And apart from immediate compliance, the research showed that spanking had negative effects on other behaviors. So very briefly, um Uh, Children who are spanked and slapped are twice as likely to develop alcohol addiction, other drug abuse problems, uh, increased rates of anxiety disorders, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, antisocial behavior, and to some extent, depression. Spanking by parents can significantly damage a child's mental abilities and result in lower IQ. Later in life suggests a study from the University of New Hampshire. And um, they also looked at corporal punishment practices in 32 countries and found a lower average IQ in nations – in which spanking was more prevalent. Uh, I've got a video called The Facts About Spanking where the graphs are sort of all gone into. Kids who are physically punished, again, this is not beating, this is not hitting with implements, this is spanking, uh, legal spanking, according to the definition earlier. So kids who are physically punished had up to a five-point lower IQ score than kids who weren't. And the more the children were spanked, the lower the IQ. In other words, it's, it's dose-dependent, which is a, a, a strong evidence, I think, of, of correlation. A uh, study shows that corporal punishment slows the development of mental ability, particularly in children uh, from two to six. And um, uh, parents who experience frequent corporal punishment uh, are more likely to perceive it as acceptable, and more frequent, more likely to spank their own uh, children. And uh, just one or two more here. Thanks for your patience. Frequent use of corporal punishment, um, which is a mother's use of spanking more than twice in the previous month when the child was three years of age, was associated with increased risk for higher levels of child aggression when the child was five years old. Even controlling for baseline antisocial behavior, the more three to six-year-old children were hit, the worse their behavior was when assessed three years later. Uh, There are social problems, uh, life problems. Um, Corporal punishment is associated with increased levels of aggression and is a predictor of delinquency, violence, and crime in later life, and is, of course, as mentioned, a risk factor for, uh, for child abuse. So this is uh, 12 or 13 recent studies found corporal punishment associated with a higher probability of delinquent and antisocial behavior. So, there's a bit of a sort of firing canon of, of correlational studies. One counter argument, of course, is that um, the more difficult children are, the more they get spanked. And uh, researchers have spent quite a lot of time and energy trying to tease this correlation out and they've had some significant success. They're limited by the fact that you can't have a sort of double-blind control group experiment wherein you tell one set of parents to hit and one set of parents to use negotiation or some other non-coercive technique uh, because you would never have that approved because spanking is uh, marked as harmful by the Canadian Pediatric Association, by the American Pediatric Association, and so on, you can't actually have it administered to children as part of an experiment. So, what they have done is they've done studies where they show uh, little boys aggressive videos or videos of children being treated aggressively and then let them play with dolls, and they found a very strong correlation that after being exposed to uh, aggressive behavior, uh, the boys are more aggressive afterwards. This is considered to be some evidence towards the fact that it is the spanking that is causing the aggression. It is not the more aggressive children who are being spanked more. I don't think that's been fully confirmed, but it's um, it's fairly well established, though I wouldn't put that on the uh, absolute column. So, you know, it's very briefly, the studies show spanking leads to increased child aggression, increased delinquent and antisocial behavior, decreased quality of parent-child relationships, decreased child mental health, increased physical abuse, increased adult aggression, increased adult criminal behavior, decreased adult mental health, and an increased risk of abusing one's own spouse or child. Now, with all of that disaster uh, scenario there, I fully accept that there are a large number of people who were spanked who turned into very nice people uh, as adults who don't exhibit these kinds of behaviors. Nonetheless, no no parent knows ahead of time which of the epigenetic factors are going to be triggered by spanking. There are latent genes which seem to be uh, activated by uh, physical abuse or even just spanking, uh, and you don't know ahead of time. You know, some people who smoke don't die of smoking. That doesn't mean that uh, smoking is safe. So to depersonalize it a little bit, I'm not saying that this is the case for all children who were spanked, but there do seem to be some negative results uh, from spanking that are pretty substantial. And uh, there are, I think, some good moral arguments against spanking, but rather than monopolize the entire conversation, I'll, uh, I'll turn it over to you.
1: Um, Wow. Um, You know, maybe we should have done more research into who had which views and and exactly what we're debating about. And I'm not even sure that we're having a debate because there's not one word that I disagree with you of what you said. Um, My uh, interest in this subject is, I think, much less than yours. Uh, You've done a lot of homework and I have really nothing to say about what you just said, except, you know, makes sense to me. It sounds reasonable, and and I've done no research on this, so I certainly uh, wouldn't want to disagree with that. Uh, I approach this in a very, very different way, Uh, not so much from the utilitarian, which I uh, characterize your statements as being a part of, uh, just utilitarian. You know, spanking has thus and such harmful effects. My interest in spanking is, is it compatible with libertarianism? Uh, Is is it... um, Is spanking, per se, a violation of the non-aggression principle? And therefore, even if spanking had good effects, uh, which I'll stipulate that you're right, it doesn't have good effects, but even suppose it did, or whether it does or not, it doesn't matter, uh, do parents have a right to spank? And uh, I see uh, this is a very different issue, and I'm sure you'll have something to say about that in your your second go-around, but let me uh, get in my five minutes or so, and then we'll have more like a a conversation back and forth. To me, the issue is not just spanking, but initiatory violence. Uh, If I were to spank you or kidnap you or put you in a room and close the door or something or anything, uh, uh, to me it's all part of the package. Like if I give you a time out and and you have to stand in the corner or whatever it is, uh, you're an adult and if I did that, that would be a clear violation of the non-aggression principle and and it would be um, incompatible with libertarianism. Uh, The way I see things, again, I'm now talking deontology or rights. Uh, I'm not talking about utilitarianism. Uh, As I say, we really have no debate or nothing worth debating on on the utilitarian issues because I haven't studied this, and I'll accept what you say, uh, just the arguendo. Uh, But to me, um, children are not fully rights-bearing creatures. Children are sort of intermediate between animals and other adults. Animals have no rights. I don't think that uh, if you uh, kill a cow or something, you're violating the libertarian non-aggression principle. Whereas if you kill another person, you certainly are. Uh, and, and if you use violence or initiatory uh, violence against the... Uh, uh, somehow I lost your picture. Uh, uh, now I, just, I, I, don't, I see my picture, but I don't see you, your smiling face anymore, Stefan. I just see a picture of you.
0: Sorry, I, I just had to go and look up the word deontological. Ah, um, uh, see, the but I think excuses I'm back. are coming in. <laughs> no, I like, this, uh, uh, I like the approach. I, I think the ethics argument is more interesting, so I'm glad we're, we're doing that.
1: Right. Uh, Michael, I, I would say uh, I'd like the whole un- unexpurgated uh thing, uh, you know, don't edit it out Uh, even with these glitches, it's fine with me Okay, so I'll continue I I assume that the audience will have heard my opening statement of about a minute or two Yeah Um, The way I see it, the the key for us libertarian deontologists or rights theoreticians is to get clear on the relationship of parents and children and the way I see it uh, it, it's sort of like homesteading Uh, you homestead some land, you mix your labor with it, you get to own it Uh, With children, you homestead the children too by uh, having intercourse and having your wife uh, produce the child and uh, you're sort of mixing your labor with it. The parents mix their labor with the children, only they don't get to own the child as a slave, but they do get to own the guardianship rights. So that if Bill Gates comes along to Stefan Molyneux and says, Hey, uh, Stefan, I can give your kid a better life than you can, uh, therefore I'm taking your kid from you, uh, this would be unacceptable because as long as Stefan is uh, being a good guardian, namely guarding his kid, feeding the kid, uh, taking care of the kid, uh, he has the guardianship rights to the kid. And uh, even if It can be proven that Bill Gates can give Stefan's kid a better life. uh, Still, Bill Gates can't take his kid away from him. So the question comes, can you use um, violence or can you treat your child in a different way than you can treat a fellow adult? And I say yes, and you're still compatible with the Libertarian Non-Aggression Principle or NAP because it doesn't apply to kids. It doesn't apply to kids fully because kids are – Kids and and not just kids, but people with Alzheimer's or dementia or what have you. There was this case in North Vancouver just yesterday or the day before where a a 75-year-old woman who had dementia and had uh, some sort of ankle bracelet or wrist bracelet that wouldn't let her get out of the uh, old person's home. And somehow it uh, it didn't work, and she got out and walked in the woods, and and it's very cold now in in, uh, Canada, and she died. Well, you know, if I would have put a wrist around uh, Michael DeMarco or Stefan Molyneux and keep him in a a certain place… I could only be justified if they were criminals and I were, uh, you know, a, a police or a, a you know, a prison guard or what have you. Uh, so I think it's perfectly reasonable uh, to use uh, to treat children differently than adults because I-, I favor paternalism for children. Whereas libertarianism certainly opposes paternalism namely we don't want the big daddy or big mommy government telling us what to do for our own good. But we have the right as guardians to tell our kids what to do for their own benefit. And if we don't, we're really not good guardians. So it's not just a matter of spanking. It's also a matter of, you know, time's out or what have you. Let me give you a case uh, that happened with me and my son when he was, I don't know, three years old or four years old. I forget exactly how old he was. We'd go to a restaurant and um, uh, he wouldn't be quite big enough to use the urinal. Uh, so what I did is I sort of propped him up on my feet and I held him up, and so that his penis wouldn't touch the urinal. He wanted his penis to touch the urinal. He was desperate to have his penis touch the urinal. When I prevented it, he would start crying and fighting me, and I used physical abuse or physical violence. Thing when I held him under the shoulders and I wouldn't let his penis touch the um, the uh, urinal, and I think I was eminently justified. And if I didn't do that, I think I would be a bad guardian. So my view is that. Um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get clear on on the uh, libertarian theory on children and my theory is that you have the right to now whether it's good or bad for them uh again that's a utilitarian issue which is sort of apart from our main discussion because i think we agree on that or at least i don't disagree so that's my opening statement and now i guess stefan it's your turn
0: well thanks um So uh, I think we can both agree that children are not in the same moral category as adults, of course. I mean they lack independence. They lack – they can't enter into contracts. They can't work for themselves. uh, And of course they are legally and and economically dependent upon the goodwill of the parents. So I think that we – I think we both agree it would be crazy to say that a three-year-old has the same moral stature as, as an adult. The question then becomes whether the moral stature for a child should be higher or lower than an adult. And uh, the way I sort of view it is uh, it, certainly you are responsible for your children. You choose to have them, but they are not really like any other property in that you aim for independence, right? So you don't have your car in order to set your car free <laughs> in some Pixar Cars universe. Uh, you don't buy your house in order to set it free. But children, you grow and release Uh, into society. So there is, of course, a responsibility for parents to grow their children in that direction, which means to give them the best uh, best possible training and and reason with them as much as possible and prepare them for the adult world and so on. So I think we could make a case that children need to be treated with a higher moral standard rather than a lower moral standard. So I've got a couple of rules that I think we can evaluate something like spanking by. Now, clearly spanking... Just on the face of it is a violation of the non aggression principle. Uh, it is the initiation of force now, holding your child away from something dangerous i don 't really think that that's that 's not spanking right um, now, if you did that if you if you didn 't tell him about it and explain it to him and so on, and then you just kept doing that into his teens, that might be somewhat suboptimal so I think, as far as spanking goes, it is the initiation of force in that it clearly it is the initiation of physical aggression and it is not in self defense i mean unless your child is very adept at flinging knives at you uh, it is not uh, in in self defense so the question is uh, is it uh, justifiable in terms of the child's safety and security which as i think walter the argument that you're making the godforsaken hellspawn of germs on the urinal uh, going into your child's penis not uh, not very positive so and and we do allow for the initiation of force i think in reasonable moral systems in situations where, like, a blind guy is wandering into traffic, he's about to get creamed by a bus, and we tackle him, he'll probably get up and say, thank you for saving my life, and not press charges for uh, tumbling him to the, uh, to the pavement. So there are times where you can initiate force. Some of the examples that are often given by parents with regards to young children is the boiling pot of water on the stove uh, where the child is reaching for it, and, of course, the, 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 the idea is that spanking the child, to have them not do that is far better or far less of uh, an injurious state than allowing the pot of boiling water to fall on the child or running into the street, uh, that, that kind of stuff. And first of all, of course, it is, I think we all understand, the parent's responsibility to create a safe environment for the child, right? I mean, you wouldn't want a boa constrictor in the child's crib and say, don't touch the boa constrictor or I'll spank you. (laughs) I mean, that would be kind of a trap and not a very good way to approach parenting. And if there's tons of stuff you can do, you build fences around the yard, you, you use the back burner, you turn the handle away from the child. Lots of things that you can do and you coach the child on what heat is and why to stay away and all that kind of stuff. You child-proof the house. If the child is in a dangerous situation, then I would argue that that's probably more the responsibility of the parent than it is something that the child needs to be punished for. Since it is the parent's responsibility to create a safe environment, if there's something dangerous that is occurring, the first place to look is the actions of the parent rather than punish the child. So I think you can violate the non-aggression principle in a moral manner if it's an unforeseeable crisis. In other words, if nothing could be prepared for or something like that, if the initiation of force is the only possible remedy In the moment, in other words, if I can, if if just grabbing the blind guy about to wander into traffic is the only thing that I could do, maybe he's got headphones and he can't hear me talk or something like that. Um, And if the victim would almost certainly give his consent in the moment, if it were possible, Uh, in other words, if the blind guy wandering into traffic, we would reasonably imagine that he would say yes if he knew the danger and this was the only way to save him, or if the victim gives his consent. Uh, After the fact like every time you use aggression you're kind of gambling on whether somebody's going to be bothered by it or not Maybe uh, there are people who aren't now in the case of the kid reaching for the pot of boiling water It's not an unforeseen crisis in that it's well known ahead of time that this is dangerous and there's lots of things you can do about it Is the initiation of force the only possible remedy in that situation? Well, no, because if you're close enough to hit the child Then you're close enough to move the child gently out of uh, out of the way of danger Uh, would the victim give his consent in the moment if it's possible? No, because the whole point of spanking is the child desperately does not want it to happen. Otherwise, it doesn't really serve the purpose. It's a little more complicated if we ask, does the victim give his consent after the fact? Because there are, of course, a lot of people uh, who say that they were spanked as children, they turned out fine, they're glad it happened, there's no problem with it. Now, this may, of course, uh, mean that they have a better relationship with their parents. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's perfectly moral because there are lots of people who don't know the negative effects of spanking, who haven't, uh, who haven't understood the alternatives and so on. Like if someone steals a cardboard box of mine, I won't really care about it. Uh, I may even be happy about it because I'd otherwise I'd have to throw it out unless I find that my wife hid $20,000 worth of gold in there, in which case I'll be a little bit more bothered because now I understand the negative consequences of that which didn't really bother me before. So I think if we meet these four standards, and I think you can initiate force uh, and still remain on the sunny side of the moral universe. If, if, if the event is an unforeseeable crisis, if the initiation of force is the only possible remedy, if the victim would almost certainly give his consent in the moment if it were possible, or if the victim gives his consent after the fact. So the example that's been tossed around is um, a guy hanging from a flagpole outside somebody's apartment building, or outside somebody's apartment window should not fall to his death, but rather should kick in the window uh, and crawl to safety that way. Uh, And that is an unforeseeable crisis. So the the balcony gave way, you grab the flagpole. Um, The initiation of force is the only possible remedy. Uh, In other words, breaking property rights or initiating property uh, damage. Uh, The victim uh, of the apartment would almost certainly give his consent in the moment if it were possible. In other words, if you could phone the guy and say, listen, I'm about to fall to my death. I'll fix your window. Can I kick it in to save myself? I mean, Everybody except maybe three sociopaths in the universe would say yes to that. And, of course, the victim can give his consent after the fact and say, I'm really glad that you kicked in my window rather than fall to your death because that would be terrible. So I think you can violate these things if a number of conditions are met. I just don't think that spanking meets uh, those conditions. And I think that uh, if you look at a lawyer who uh, has care and custody of somebody's money, in other words, they're holding something in trust until a kid turns 18 – their right to use that money is restricted. It is less than if that money were the lawyer's own. And in the same way, we hold uh, uh, children in trust for the future, in trust for their adult selves. And therefore, I would say that our moral standards should be higher, just as a lawyer's is with money that's not his, uh, rather than lower.
1: Wow. You said a lot of stuff, uh, interesting stuff, uh, some of which I agree with, some of which I disagree with, um, I don't know about this higher or lower standard, uh, uh, I'm maybe pr- approaching it orthogonally. Uh, to me, I sort of put the blinders on and I, I, I try to narrow my focus on, you know, is, um, is spanking or uh, y- the use of violence uh, uh, per se a uh, violation of children's rights, uh, to me, again, Spanking is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just one instance. Uh, There are many other things. Time's out or grabbing people uh, by the shoulders and pushing them out of the way of the oncoming truck. In the case of the blind man, it's all the same. Um, Perhaps we shouldn't have agreed that the debate or the discussion – more like a discussion. I don't think we're that far apart on many things – uh, is about spanking. It's more about, um, uh, does the non-aggression principle apply to children in the same way that it applies to other people? And, and I say no, and I hope to be able to convince you, or I think you're already half convinced that, that uh, it doesn't apply in the same way. And, and I would put, uh, children in the same category as Alzheimer's or uh, dementia people, uh, people who just can't take care of themselves. And I think uh, paternalism is justified for them. Um, Getting back to my son and grabbing him away to keep him safe, uh, I didn't spank him. He was too young to understand anything, uh, although one time he threw sand in his little sister's face, and I wanted to throw sand in his face to show him what it felt like, which would be roughly spanking or you know uh, 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 heavy abuse or something. My wife wouldn't let me, and she's the boss, so I didn't get to do it. But I thought I would be justified just to show him how it felt. And my daughter was crying, and he didn't understand. And this would be a good way to explain just what throwing sand in the face of, uh, of uh, somebody really means. Um, there are several uh, criticisms of libertarianism that have been launched, and I'm shocked that you've fallen for one of them. Let me uh, give you both of them. Uh, the first one is by Milton Friedman, and what Milton Friedman says is, look, the uh, the NAP is no good uh, because here's a guy who's standing at the edge of, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, a bridge, and he's about to jump and commit suicide, and what any reasonably nice person is going to do is grab him and say, you know, um, don't jump. Uh, life is uh, precious. Life is wonderful. Uh, don't jump. But meanwhile, you're using physical violence. You're not spanking him, but you're kidnapping him. You're keeping him from doing what he wants. Now, in my own case, the the way I I deal with this one is I say, if I saw one of you two guys, Michael or Stefan, at the edge of a bridge and and you were about to jump, I would grab you. I would violate the non-aggression principle. But the non-aggression principle really isn't the essence of libertarianism. The essence of it, I think, is punishment theory. What what happens to me uh, when I do that? Now, um, if I would say to you after I grabbed you, and let's say I'm bigger and stronger than you and I'm able to grab you and you don't push me into the water with you, but um, somehow I'm powerful enough to stop you or let's say you're smaller than me or whatever. I would then ask you, I'd say, well, why are you jumping? And if you said, well, you know, I'm in the last stages of a, a incurable disease, and, and the pain is just uh, terrific, and uh, I've had morphine up to my ears, and it still hurts, and, and it's excruciating, let me jump, I would say, okay, well, you know, uh, I, I, it's unhappy, it's unfortunate, but if I were like that, I would jump too. So I'm not going to stop you. On the other hand, if you said, well, your girlfriend broke up with you, or you got a a bad mark in your class, I would I would then kidnap you for a day or so and try to, what is it, decommission you? Not That's not the right word. Deprogram you, I think it is. Deprogram. I try to say, you know, uh, life goes on, there are other women, uh, plenty of fish in the sea or whatever. But then after a day or so, I would let you go because, you know, I, I can't be a paternalist forever. But the point is now what happens to me? Well, I did violate the non-aggression principle, and I'm a criminal, so I should have some sort of sanction imposed on me. And I use this case in in the case of, can there be a Nazi concentration camp guard, a libertarian? And the uh, situation I offer is the following. Uh, all Nazi concentration camp guards have to kill uh, 100 Jews, blacks, gypsies, gays, whatever, a day. But the libertarian one will only kill 90 Because he has to kill 90, otherwise they'll see him for what he is, namely uh, not really enthusiastic about killing people. But he does it, and he does it in order to save 10 people a day. Instead of killing 100, he kills 90. So at the end of the week, he's killed 630 people. But he saved 90, uh, as opposed to the ordinary concentration camp guard who killed uh, 700. And now we have the uh, Nuremberg trials, and, and the, I'm the concentration camp guard, and I go before the bar. And uh, let's stipulate that the crime, uh, the punishment for murder, and I'm a murderer, I killed uh, 630 people, is death. Uh, that is unless the heirs of the victim forgive the uh, murderer That's my view of punishment. So I would go around to all the heirs of the victims and say, look, I wish I could have saved your uncle, brother, son, mother, but I couldn't. I could only save 10 a day, and I saved 70 people. And if you want to execute me, you have a right to do it. Uh, but first, you have to have a ticker tape parade in my honor, because I'm a hero. I saved uh, 70 people who otherwise would have died. So I think that the Milton Friedman critique of um, libertarianism on the fact that there are certain good things that that can violate the NAP, like uh, grabbing suicides and, as you mentioned, uh, grabbing blind people uh, who— uh, you know, are going to hit, be hit by a truck or grabbing people uh, who, whether they're babies or adults, if they don't see the the, bottom, uh, the bottle or, or the pot of boiling water coming at them, you know, you grab them and then uh, presumably they'll thank you for it. Uh, the, other, uh, the other attack on libertarianism is this flagpole business. And here I disagree with you, perhaps. I'm not sure I understood you, but let's explore this for a minute. Here's the situation. You're standing on the deck of the 25th floor. And the the deck caves in and you go down, down, down the building. Then you grab onto the 15th floor and now you're on the 15th floor. And what you really want to do is just go into the apartment and get onto the staircase and go up back to your party and not go out on the deck again. But the... uh, uh And there's a flagpole on the 15th floor, and you're crawling down the flagpole to try to get into this person's house. And this person comes out with a gun and says, that's private property. You're a trespasser. Get off. And um, the issue is not, what should you do? That's not a libertarian question. The libertarian question is, uh, if that person shoots you for trespassing, are they a murderer? And my claim is that they're not. They're not a a murderer if they shoot you because, you know, in the ordinary case, most people, they see a a helpless guy crawling down with his fingers on, on on a flagpole. They're going to say, you know, come on in or I'll get you a net or something. But suppose there was this little old lady who was raped by a person that looks just like the person on the flagpole and they're afraid. Well, then, you know, that's libertarianism. So we might be disagreeing on the flagpole, but I don't think we're really disagreeing that much on children and um, uh, whether it's spanking or times out or whatever, uh, because we agree th- that if it's if if you're a proper guardian, you'll guard your children, and sometimes guarding your children uh, requires uh, the use of physical force. That if if you, you see if. If I grabbed you from the, uh, whatchamacallit, from the um, bridge that you're about to commit suicide, I would be guilty of something. But if I grabbed my kid, I would not be guilty of anything. So therefore, there is a difference between kids and adults. And I'm right and you're wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you'd started with that, we could have saved a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of time and
1: All
0: right. So, um, yeah. So the reason that I said that the standards are higher for children rather than lower is that – You said you couldn't spank myself, but you could spank a child, which means that the standards of moral behavior would be lower for children. uh, And my argument is that they're in fact higher. I'm not obligated to feed everyone in the world, but if I lock a guy in my basement, I'm obligated to feed him or I'm a murderer. In other words, confinement in your house raises moral standards that wouldn't otherwise apply to the general population or to other people you don't know. Uh, And so in this instance, if you have someone trapped in your house or you lock someone in your basement, you have to give them food and water or or you're responsible for their death. Uh, If somebody is on the other side of town and, and gets stuck under a bridge and dies of thirst overnight or something, that's not you're doing because you didn't confine that person. Children are, of course, confined in the home. And so my argument is, of course, parents are obligated to feed their children because of the confinement aspect uh, and they're not obligated to feed strangers' children because they're not confining strangers' children. And that's an example of the moral standards being higher uh, for children or the moral uh, obligations, I guess, being higher for children in your house, your own children, Uh, than it would be for strangers' children. And so in the same way, uh, I would argue that because children are confined and dependent upon you, uh, the uh, responsibility to not use force against them wherever possible would be higher than it would be for strangers. So I just wanted to sort of clarify that. The issue of the sort of Schindler's List question that you pose about the concentration camp uh, guard, um, my understanding of, you know, just I'm an annoying historical buff. So my understanding of the Nuremberg trials is the rank and file were never put on trial uh, because they were recognized as being in a coercive situation. In other words, uh, they were told by the Nazis, go be this concentration camp guard or we'll shoot you. In which case, you can't really fault someone for what they do with a gun to their head, right? The the uh, If I kill someone because someone says, you know, kill this person or I'll shoot your whole family, it is the person who puts the gun to my head, who holds the moral responsibility, not me who's trying to survive in that situation. So uh, I I think from that standpoint, uh, it's a little tougher to make the case. We're going to assume the concentration camp guard is operating under a system of of coercion and confinement. uh, And therefore, we can't really discuss a huge amount. I mean, it's nice if they do save some more people, but I don't think they're guilty of murder uh, if it's kill or be killed kind of situation. And that's the situation with the military, right? In the First World War, for for one of the first times in history, uh, people were told that they had to storm into no man's land or they would get shot by their officers. Uh, And so they went and did that under a system of coercion. If they save some people, that's nice. It might be nice if they went and shot some other guards instead of a few fewer prisoners. But I don't know that I would put a lot of moral um, weight to somebody who's uh, at the business end of uh, the barrel uh, of a gun. So um, as far as the, the flagpole scenario goes, uh, I think that um, uh, these very – you know, I, I know that I mean I'm, I'm big I'm down with the Socratic method, right? Try and find the exceptions to the rule, try and find the exceptions to the rule. But I think that when we are in the process of inventing really like once a century kind of situations, I think it's like trying to invalidate the laws of biology by saying sometimes a horse is born with two heads and therefore we have no idea what horses are. There are going to be ridiculous and extreme situations that are going to occur that are going to be tough to tease out. They're going to be tough to figure out, you know, someone shoots someone coming into their house. Uh, maybe I think there was a situation recently where a man uh, shot a guy who was coming up to his house and banging on his door. And it turned out the guy had been in a car accident. He was delirious. He didn't know where he was. And so he didn't back off. And the guy had been robbed before. And, you know, so these are just complicated situations uh, that um, uh, I think you're right. They, uh, they do sort of go around punishment. I think if I were on a jury. And someone shot someone who was trying to climb over their fence because they were being chased by a wild dog or something and and said this, right? I think I would have a little less sympathy for that kind of person. And so – Everything that you do that violates social norms or has the potential to violate social norms puts you at risk of punishment. Then you try and make your case and try and find reasonable accommodation with whoever you're going to be judged by, hopefully a a private system of, of justice and thus having some level of efficiency. Uh, but I think that the principles are not particularly broken by the sort of once in a century uh, situations, if that makes any sense.
1: Well, I disagree with you on several grounds i don't think we disagree so much on on spanking and 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 children uh we disagree more on on these other issues that keep coming up and and i'm finding this really delightful because i, I think you're very bright and, and very uh, libertarian and so am i and uh yet we don't agree on everything so this is a way of knocking off edges off each other so we can both um, improve as um libertarian get, polished. get polished yes um This business of two-headed horses and and weird cases, I think, is very important for libertarians to to try to analyze. Uh, With regards to the concentration camp guard... Uh, this was a voluntary concentration camp guard. This was not somebody who was told, I'm I'm the libertarian concentration guard. I don't have to go to Germany. I'm here in the U.S., and I could, uh, we're in 1938 or 1942 or whatever it is, and I go over to Germany, and I become a concentration camp guard, why? Because I want to save lives. So it's not the case that I was forced into it. Although the, the way you, you mention it, when um, A uh, puts a gun behind B's back and and A says to B, shoot C, or I'll kill you. I've written several articles about this weird weirdo that I am. And uh, the question comes, well, and C also has a gun. Remember, A is behind B's back. A is the total bad guy. B is an innocent murderer. C is another innocent murdere, maybe. So A puts his uh, gun behind the back of B, and B can't turn around and shoot um, A for some reason. He's got to face forward. And now the question comes, well, who has a right to shoot? Because C also has a gun. And if C uh, shoots, C really wants to shoot A, because he knows B is just an innocent guy. But the only way to get A is go right through B, namely the gun will go through both. And now who has the right to shoot? This is a very important issue. Uh, It's true. It'll only happen once in a million years, or it'll never happen, but it'll only happen because uh, weirdo theoreticians like you and I, I hope you don't mind me calling you a weirdo, a fellow weirdo, we think of these cases. and, And I think it's imperative that we come to grips with it in order to better understand what libertarianism is. And in my analysis, and here I disagree with Murray Rothbard, my analysis is that B is the first homesteader of the misery. And therefore, if the, uh, we're trying to figure out who has the right to shoot B or C, B shooting an innocent C or C shooting an innocent B, and I come out in favor of C, Murray comes out in favor of B, but that's a, another uh, weirdo issue. Uh, I, I want to get back to the, the children stuff and, and, and the, the, to me, my best debating point against you, and I want to hear you clear on this is if a child if my child is standing on a bridge, And I uh, and he's about to jump off and he wants to commit suicide. He's five years old. I grab him and I say, I'm not a criminal at all. I pay no penalty whatsoever for grabbing him. Whereas you, you're an adult and you're standing on the bridge and I grab you again with the same motivation uh, to being a nice guy. And I ask you why you're committing suicide. And if you're uh, excruciating pain from some dread disease, I'll let you go. And if not, I'm going to grab you and keep you. But in any case, I think I'm guilty of assault and battery. With you, but I don't think I'm guilty of assault and battery with my kid. And therefore, we have a lower obligation for kids, uh, opposite to what you're saying. How do you react to that?
0: Well, I would uh, uh, do a jujitsu flip and see if we can't turn it around. Insofar as you, you said earlier, Walter, that when you bring somebody home, you might keep him for a day, right? Uh, and and then you have to release him because you can't be paternalistic forever. And then it just simply becomes kidnapping and, you know, locking the guy in your basement to, to make him better or whatever. But, of course, with a five-year-old child, uh, you have to keep them, you know, for at least, I guess, uh, six, what's 12, uh, 13 more years. Uh, Until they each some whatever the age majority will be in a free society. So, again, I think we're at the place where your obligations are higher for the child than they would be for a random uh, stranger. So I think, again, we're we're back in that situation where your moral responsibility is higher. Of course, uh, you know, I mean, to to. You know, one of the problems with the the um, flagpole scenarios and the kid on the bridge scenarios is what is the continuum process, right? Uh, uh, if we're going to do Socratic uh, exceptions, then we need to look at the process as well. Of course, why does your child want to want to kill himself? Uh, you know, would that have something to do with your parenting? Uh, I would argue it probably does. Uh, in which case, uh, you may not get to keep the child if you're a really terrible parent to the point where your kid wants to jump off a bridge and you know they're just terrified to get out of bed or whatever. So uh, I think that since you have to keep the kid that you your kid that you take off a bridge, uh, then uh, you, you again your standards for for care and custody are far higher uh, than they would be for the general individual. And of course, if you find a stranger on a bridge who's about to jump, you are not causal uh, in that decision that they're making on the cliff edge. They're just some guy who's had a you know bad life or a bad day or whatever, and he wants to jump. You're not causal in that, so you have no moral responsibility uh, to to either save or. Uh, not save him. I think it's nicer to try, but you know, nobody's going to shoot you for keeping walking on by. They may not like you, but they can't initiate force against you for failing to act. On the other hand, if your child wants to jump off a bridge, then you as a parent are causal uh, to some degree or another. And I would argue to a pretty significant degree, you are causal uh, in that child's a decision to to want to die because you know certainly from I'm sure your experience as a parent and my experience as a parent you know kids are pretty happy and and you know jump around and dance and and do cartwheels and so on and uh, so if a child is depressed to the point of suicidality then that has something to do with the parent you know maybe they're being bullied at school but the parent is not homeschooling or moving or taking some action to prevent uh, you know, this escalating to some suicidal level. So, again, I think the difference is is the causality, uh, than uh, which is different, of course, for your own child, the responsibility after the fact uh, for your own child, which I think puts them in a separate moral category, but a higher moral category. You're more causal in your child's suicidality, and you have, you know, 13 more years' responsibility for a five-year-old, which you wouldn't have for uh, for the stranger. So, again, I say that the moral standards should be higher, not lowered to the point where we would accept the initiation of force in the parent-child relationship.
1: I think you made two errors here. Uh, One, a minor one. (laughs) Only two. Excellent. It's typographical, uh, and I think you'll accept uh, what I say on this, but then a major error, and I'll get to that second. The minor one is you have to keep them for 15 years. Uh, surely you can adopt him or sell him. You can sell your parental rights. There was this case where some woman sold her child for five thousand bucks, and she went to jail. Uh, I think that uh, if you own the guardianship rights, you can sell it. I'm also into voluntary slavery. If if uh, if I own myself, I can sell myself into slavery. If I can't sell myself into slavery, I don't really own myself. Well, if I own the if I own X, I have a right to sell it. And if I own the guardianship, but you can't, Sorry, rights but you my,
0: cannot sell a child into slavery.
1: Oh no, not into slavery, but in adoption. In other words, uh, let's say uh, uh, you're a rich yeah, guy I agree. and I've I mean, got I agree two kids. You can sell and... a
0: child into adoption. I, I agree with that. So okay, yes, so I, but you're still responsible. Just, uh... you, you're still responsible for what happens yeah. to the child, whether you sell them into a, a good home uh, or you keep them or whatever. So I agree, that's uh, not a huge issue, okay. but I, I certainly appreciate well, the clarification. I
1: think that's like the typographical error or something like that, or a uh, awkward statement. So we agree on that, that that like, uh, if I'm rich, and you're very poor, and and you see that I'm a good parent, and you sell your child to me, and I take good care of them, the, the government shouldn't put you or me in jail. So we agree on that. The major problem that I have with what you just said is you avoided my point. You're talking about causal. You're saying that if um, if the child is about to commit suicide, it's probably the parent's fault. Forget about that. Uh, you may or may not be right, and probably you are right, but I'm not interested in that. I, I want to focus not on the the prequel, but the sequel. Namely, I don't want to focus on the cause of why the child is, is jumping off a bridge. I want to focus on what happens to the person who grabs the child or what happens to the person who grabs the adult. And I'm saying in libertarian law, there, would, uh, there should be some difference. And my understanding of your position is there should be no difference. So let me reiterate this to be perfectly clear. My kid is uh, on, on the bridge for whatever reason. We don't go into the uh, causal antecedents. He's about to jump off and I grab him and I don't let him jump. Uh, I don't care what he says, uh, unless it's excruciating pain or something, but forget about that. And and, uh, I say, I'm not guilty of any crime whatsoever. Second case, Michael DeMarco is at the uh, the bridge and uh, I grab him and I don't let him jump and I keep him for a day or so. And I say, I am now a criminal. What do you say to that? And, and if you say, if you agree with that, then you have to realize that I'm right in what I think the debate is namely, that libertarian law applies differently to children than it applies to adults.
0: Which I conceded at the very beginning. So the question so is so whether the no standard is higher or lower. Right. So if you can initiate force against children in the form of spanking, then the moral standards are lower with regards to children. My argument is that the moral standards are higher with regards to children than they are with regards to strangers. In other words, you can't hit children and you can't hit strangers and you can't hit children even more than you can't hit strangers. The moral standards are um, more destructive for strangers. Strangers, of course, if you if you hit a stranger, the stranger can fight back, the stranger can call the cops, the stranger has economic independence, uh, the stranger can run away, the stranger can avoid you in the future, and so on. So it's bad to hit strangers, but they have so many recourses uh, that uh, children simply don't have. If you hit your own child, uh, the child can't leave, the child can't fight back, the child usually can't call the cops, because in most places in the world it's perfectly legal. Uh, so uh, because the child has fewer options, uh, less capacity, well, really no capacity for self-defense and is entirely economically and legally dependent upon the the parent, hitting a child is worse than hitting a stranger. So I agree with you, it's different. I just say that the standards must be higher for the parent-child relationship than for any adult relationship.
1: I think you just contradicted yourself with all respect. Uh, I I think that if you agree with me, and and you haven't said that you agreed with me, you're sort of skirting this a little bit, Let me reiterate it again. If I use violence against the child uh, on the bridge, I'm not a criminal. If I use violence against an adult, I am a criminal. Therefore, I have a lower, not a higher responsibility, kids, but a lower one. Because I define a lower responsibility when I do something bad. I'm not responsible. I'm not a criminal.
0: Yeah, I can look, I completely agree with you. First of all, you may not be a criminal uh, if the guy... um thanks you uh, and gives you a million dollars for saving his life because he just had a really low point and he feels better now and so on, you may not be a criminal. I agree with you about the punishment theory that the criminality doesn't exist in some abstract manner like there's a deity. I, I know we're both atheists. There's no deity up there who's judging you and you know putting the scarlet C on your forehead if you do something bad. The criminality of the act occurs in the matter of the complaint of the victim. Right. So if you save someone from jumping off a bridge and that person then wakes up the next day and says, my God, I have so much to live for. I can't believe it. Thank you, Walter. I'm going to kisses your feet and and gives you a million dollars in thanks. Then clearly uh, there's no criminality woven into the fabric of moral physics of the universe. Right. If there's no complaint, there's no uh, crime. Right. So I don't think you become a criminal for grabbing the guy. You may not even become a criminal by keeping the guy in your house for a day. In fact, you may become a hero. He may thank you. He may name his firstborn after you, and in, in thanks for what you did. Now, if you keep him for a year, you know, at some point you're gonna—he's gonna have a complaint against you, and then he's gonna go and complain to whatever authorities are gonna be out there to enforce these standards and so on. So, I don't think that any you know magic criminal action that occurs when you tackle someone on a bridge and prevent them from killing themselves, uh, if you repeatedly do so despite them uh, saying no, and and if they. Pull out a gun to defend themselves uh, from you preventing them. You know, again, we're getting all kind of silly scenarios, but I agree. It, it's it's the complaint uh, and then the the standards of the society that need to be applied to create uh, criminality. But uh, and if you just look at the moment of grabbing someone from a bridge, yeah, you're not certainly not a criminal if it's your kid. Although your kid is probably jumping because you are a criminal. In other words, you've been a child abuser. And so your kid is jumping because of a prior history of criminal behavior against your child. But if we look at uh, the continuum of the process, right? I mean, you can't just take a snapshot uh, and think it's a a movie. The continuum of the process is you are now responsible for what happens to the child, but you are not responsible for what happens to the adult, right? So, uh, again, the moral standards are higher uh, in that moment, uh, sorry, in, in the continuum process of what happens after that moment.
1: Stefan, I, I think we're not communicating. Uh, uh you're not, um, we're not on the same wavelength. Uh, you keep talking about, um, the past, uh, namely if the kid is committing suicide, you, uh, are in some way responsible for that. I don't care about that. I'm not focused on that. I'm uh, just assume arguendo that for some reason, um, Uh, I don't know, uh, a devil made up do it or who who cares? I'm not interested in that. And and if you return to that, uh, you're not uh, promoting this discussion because I don't want to focus on that, at least for the moment. So arguendo, forget about that. And also forget about whether adults can defend themselves or not. Uh, I'm assuming I'm much bigger and stronger than the kid, certainly, and I'm much bigger and stronger than the guy at the bridge, and I can do what I want. And also forget about whether they thank you or not. And I certainly agree with you that there's no mens rea in either case, namely guilty conscience. You know, I'm not really a criminal inside because my intent is to help as as was my intent in becoming a nazi concentration camp guard but let, let's stick to the point let, let's stick to the point that i want to raise and that you seem to be uh, i'm not communicating it as well as i could so let me try it again uh, i say that you have a lesser obligation to your child than to a stranger because if you do something x to the kid you're not a criminal Whereas if you do something to an adult, you are a criminal, and therefore uh, you have a higher uh, obligation to another person to not commit crimes, because uh, not to commit assault and battery, because it is assault and battery. Now, look, the guy might forgive you. He might say, yes, uh, thank God you saved me. But suppose he doesn't say that. Suppose he says, you dirty rat, you. Uh, you kept me from committing suicide because my girlfriend left me, and uh, you're a bad guy. And I would say that in that case, I am a bad guy, uh, and and therefore I owe him a higher uh, obligation to keep my goddamn mitts off of him. Whereas with my kid, I'm his guardian, I grab him, I'm not uh, a criminal, I don't care what he says, whether he thanks me or doesn't thank me. And by the way, my son is now grown up, and he does certainly thank me for keeping his penis off of uh, the urinals, but that's a different issue. So look... Stefan, please focus on, on the question that I'm talking about. Uh, I say that I owe you a much higher standard to keep my mitts off of you, because if I don't get my mitts off of you, I'm a criminal, whereas my son or my daughter, I owe them a lower standard uh, uh, to keep my mitts off of them or to uh, commit aggression against them, because if I do this to get them off the bridge, I'm not a criminal. Now, how do you uh, respond to that very narrow question and forget about prior and, and defense and all this other uh, stuff? Just focus on that very narrow point.
0: Well, sure. Look, I mean, I, I certainly accept the argument that you will face fewer negative repercussions, if not no negative repercussions, for saving your child than you will for trying to save a stranger. I mean, so I fully Except, accept that. Oh. Yeah, okay, and, well, then, no, no, no,
1: but, and, but, but and, no, hang on, hang on, hang on,
0: But the reason for that, Walter, is because, like, okay, I don't know if you can see, let me just bring up my, my little video here. I think so can see if get my hand in here. Okay, I, I so see uh, you, here, right, you, you have, okay, this is my right hand is your child, the left hand, sorry for those just listening to the audio. Right hand is you, your moral responsibilities to your child overall, and this is your moral responsibilities to strangers, right? You have a much higher moral responsibility to your child than you do to strangers in general. We agree with that. You have to feed your child. You don't have to feed strangers. You have to give your child medical attention and care. You don't have to do that to strangers. Do we agree on that? Okay. So in... In this situation, so in general, and and in the entire five years before your kid tries to jump off the bridge, and for whatever time period afterwards, you owe your child much higher moral obligations than you do to a stranger. And that's all I'm trying to say, is that the reason it's flipped in this moment is because of this whole, because you have care and custody of that child, and you are responsibility you have a responsibility for that child that is higher than it is for strangers, which is why you're not going to face negative repercussions in that moment when these flip. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, I think uh, what you're saying is absolutely right, but irrelevant in in the following sense. First of all, uh, libertarianism has got nothing to do with morality, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I really don't even understand what morality is, but to the limited extent that I know what morality is, you're absolutely right. You have much more of a responsibility to feed your kid or somebody that you trap in your basement than you have some stranger, whether he's your next door neighbor or somebody on the other side of the earth. Uh, but we're not talking moral responsibility to help. Rather, we're talking about moral re- or responsibility not to aggress. That's a very different issue. We're not talking about responsibility to help. We're talking about uh, what, uh, what obligations do you have as a libertarian to keep your mitts off of people. And I say you have a lower responsibility, legal responsibility, namely libertarian law, a lower legal responsibility to keep your mitts off of your kid. Namely, you can put your mitts on your kid in a way that you may not put your mitts on on other adults. So the word moral responsibility or responsibility is um, a two-edged sword. And you're looking at one edge, and I agree with you on that edge. But look at my edge for a minute and, and forget about moral responsibility to feed talk about responsibility to keep your mitts off of, namely to not spank, to not uh, uh, grab. And I say uh, you have much, uh, uh, to me it's not a matter of lower or not, you have no responsibility to keep you, to not put your mitts on your kid. You can put your mitts on your kid whenever you want and you can still be a good, um, well, uh, within reason. I mean, if you do child abuse, as you mentioned in the beginning, forget about that. But, But the point is that if I grab my kid to save him Uh, I'm not a criminal at all, and therefore my responsibility – my ability to interact with my kid in in a way uh, physically is is very high, whereas uh, I am a criminal if I grab somebody else, uh, and therefore my responsibility to him is is the opposite.
0: Okay. All right. So um, let's say that – we have a challenge, which I'll have to mull over further. Uh, I've not sort of had this argument before, and it's a great argument. I really, obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one. Uh, so give me some some room to mull it over, and I promise I will uh, uh, give some more thought about it and and uh, talk with you further. Let's say uh, that your argument is uh, entirely correct. That uh, the the argument about the five year old wanted to jump to his death on the edge of a cliff is entirely correct, and my argument is entirely incorrect. Linking that to spanking, I think is not uh, a valid extension of of the principle uh, for for the reason being that uh, this is not a one time thing but spanking tends to occur in households sort of three Plus times a week that uh, spanking has objectively destructive and negative consequences to a child's mental physical and emotional health, uh, and so on, so I think that we could even if we were to to con- even if I were to concede which you know may very well be the case about this bridge ed- edge incident that doesn't I think justify a continued behavior on the part of a, a parent that is going to cause uh, significant physical mental emotional spiritual problems for the child. Uh, down the road. Does does that make any sense? Like, I think equating the, the the bridge edge with a continued process of hitting children, I don't think is is particularly valid.
1: But now you're getting off the point again. Uh, I agree with you on all this stuff. Now you're getting back to the utilitarian stuff. I mean, all these statistics you gave, uh, they made sense to me. I mean, you spank your kid and the kid is more likely to be a criminal or a bully or something. I've not looked at that literature. I'm not really that interested. I mean, you know, we have specialization and division of labor. Not everybody can be an expert in every issue. And you seem to have devoted a lot of time to this. I none. So I regard you very highly, and I take your word for that. I, I'm not disagreeing with that, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, in the absence of me doing any independent research, which I'm not inclined to do, because I trust you on these issues, and and you're an expert in that. And and uh, but but when you say that, that the bridge thing has nothing to do with spanking. It has, because spanking is just one part of uh, physical invasion. So forget about spanking. Let's just talk about physical invasion. I physically invade my son to keep him from jumping, and I'm not a criminal. Therefore, I have a very low or no responsibility not to do that. Whereas you, I physically invade. I don't spank you, but I grab you. And, and I am a criminal. Therefore, I do have a, a, a high responsibility to keep my goddamn mitts off of you. That's the issue. And that's the only issue. And um, there, I'm glad you're willing to... Um, not filibuster. And to say that you'll think about this, which is very rare, usually when I'm in a debate with somebody, and and, uh, if there's a problem, they filibuster, they interrupt, they won't let you speak. So I really appreciate the fact that you're approaching it the way I'm approaching it, namely with two, not sinners, but two ignorant people. Trying to get a little bit closer to one millionth of an inch closer to the proverbial truth with a capital T, and I respect your um, uh, contribution to this debate or this discussion really, and it's a pleasure to deal with a person like you. I, I wish I could hug you right now. Uh, you're close. You're on <laughs> my screen. Uh, not uh, no physical abuse, but. Um, uh, because I really appreciate your contribution to this, and and I think we've come to some sort of uh, end to the discussion. Because you said you'd have to think about this, and um, it was a pleasure to uh, to take part in this with you.
0: Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I really do appreciate that. Uh, You've got some, obviously, I I was not expecting weak arguments from you and uh, you did not disappoint. So uh, I try not to debate debate with anyone I can't learn something from. And so I really do appreciate great arguments. I will uh, rub my brain into hopefully some useful supernovas of insights and (laughs) good arguments and see what I can come up with. So uh, thanks again. Uh, Walter, do you have a place on the web where my listeners can come and uh, review your voluminous material and, and see your lectures? Is there a sort of central hub for the block universe
1: well walterblock.com i think uh that ought to do it or yeah walterblock.com or email me wblock at loino.edu, l-o-y-n-o dot e-d-u for education that'll get me i have a new book out called defending the Undefendable two uh so your listeners might uh pos- I-, I think your listeners would be um interested in both of us because you and i are brothers and we're both libertarians and um Uh, I think there's a great overlap between people interested in me and people interested in you. So thanks for having me. I uh, I will
0: uh, absolutely say I've I've always enjoyed your lectures and uh, heartily recommend. uh, I don't think I've ever read anything of yours and yawned. uh, So I would heartily (laughs) recommend my listeners to grab a copy of anything that Walter has written and almost everything that Walter has said. Uh, It's almost always going to be something that's going to be very thought provoking as this has been for me. So I really do appreciate your time. And um, well, I'm sure we'll talk again.
1: Stefan, one more thing. You and I were supposed to have a debate out in Vancouver on voting or po- politics or something like that. Remember with um, Jay Aunt and, and you had a right, cancel yeah. because of your illness. I think we're scheduled to do that again. I'm not sure. But if not, we yep. could do that one on your show here or do it both times. I don't know. But uh, that would be a pleasure also.
0: Yeah, I mean, it would be fun to do in person. I think we're both going to be out in Vancouver uh, next summer. July? Is it July?
1: July, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, otherwise, if, if for whatever reason that doesn't work out, then we'll definitely do it here because I think it's a very, uh, very important question. We all want to help move liberty forward as fast as possible. And there are lots of uh, different thoughts about how best to do that. So uh, we'll either do it live or we'll do it uh, uh, over the phone. Oh, sorry, over Skype. So thanks again. Well, That's WalterBlock.com. Uh, Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Radio Radio. Thanks uh, so much for watching and listening.
1: Take care. Thanks for having me. Take care.